0: I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite obstacle course racing but before I get started I want to give a shout out to human octane if you're the kind of person who pushes the limit then you've got to check out human octane apparel training and racing apparel designed by OCR athletes and these guys just get it everything they make dries lightning fast has zippered pockets Is abrasion resistant in high contact areas without bulky padding? I've gotten to know these guys, and trust me, they're going to out-innovate the competition when it comes to OCR gear. Check them out at humanoctane.com. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. I've got the profound pleasure of finally getting Norm Koch on the podcast with us. As most of you that listen to this podcast know, Norm is the guy when it comes to developing race courses in the OCR community. Norm, say hello to our folks. Hello, everybody. (laughs) So, Norm, you are like the guy, man. I mean, you were like the original race director for the whole Spartan deal. You had a, a very strong influence over death race. Tell me, you know, just from the beginning, how did this all come about?
1: Well, I wasn't the very first one, but I was one of the uh, longest running race directors, I guess. Um, I was actually working for a ski resort in Vermont, Kemo uh, Mountain, and one day I got a call from marketing saying Tough Mudder and uh, Spartan were interested in coming to our mountain to check it out, and I, they wanted me to give them a tour and be the liaison to the mountain and, um, show them around, show them the operations. And, and that's how I got introduced into obstacle course racing. And you've personally
0: participated in death race as early back as, uh, 2012.
1: Yes. 2012. I, I did the, uh, winter. I was the first loser I was in the lead for quite a while, but I made some rookie mistakes and uh, got beat by Olaf. Well, they took us aside and they they, they told me and Olaf, um, "You okay with second? You okay with first? You guys can go hide for five or six hours while everyone else keeps going since so so far ahead." Um, so I was I was okay with that, but if I just said no and kept going, I probably would have won. Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> All right, I guess I'm going to cut to this chase
0: and just get to the $50,000 question. So you were with Spartan Race for so many years. You're world-renowned for your ability to create challenging courses, and then all of a sudden you're not. I don't know whether there's some paperwork involved that precludes you from being able to discuss this, but I have to ask, was there some bad blood, or did you just decide you want to do something different, or how did that all shake out?
1: All of the above. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I, I I wanted to leave for a while. Just um, Spartan. You know, I love Spartan. Uh, the original years, growing with them, helping the brand become what it is. And then it became more corporate. And I'm not a corporate person. I don't like being told what to do. Um, uh, I like... I have my ideals and my beliefs, and I don't like compromising. So um, it was definitely a time, for, I think it was mutual. It was time for me to move on. Um, I just, with SOPs and, and direction they're going, just I didn't, didn't sit well with me. So it was, I saw a way out and I took it. Okay. Now, did you know
0: at that point of departure that you were going to make a home with Bonefrog?
1: I had I I had interest in working with Bone Frog for three years now since the first race I attended at Brookshire East with my wife I was I thought it was great the obstacles were challenging I like it reminded me of early years of Spartan a little rough around the edges and it was a mountain my favorite atmosphere so that that hooked me with them and I've always kept in contact with the the owner. And not just them. I've kept. I've made a point of racing every race possible. Conquer the Gauntlet, Tough Scramble, um, Blizzard Blast, Shell Hill, Fit Challenge. I mean, you go on and on. Now, when you develop a course,
0: I just try to wrap my head around the sheer logistics of trying to put together all these different moving parts, getting assembled, getting them things in such a way that they're going to be grass, which is generally recognized as safe, yet challenging.
1: How long does it take you to come up with a design? It depends. I mean, venues I've venues I've been to, I could sit down. I In mean, Killington, I could sit down and remake Killington within 10 minutes on a computer. I can just... I know the, the, I know every little nook and cranny. Um, you can throw a variable. I can reroute, reroute it, rechange it. Um, you know, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Killington, any of those venues I've been to. Um, it, it takes me no time at all. New venues, preferably if I can go see it, see the topography, and then look at the Google Earth. It, it's much easier. But I can, I can. Spend maybe an hour or two on a Google Earth and make something up, a rough draft. But then to get boots on the ground, it really makes a difference.
0: I would imagine. And before, I mean, let me put it this way. When things were good, when things were sweet between you and Spartan and you were developing courses for them and, you know, opening up uh, events around the country and the world, Um. How much creative license did you have in respect to developing obstacles? I, I assume that you also have to look at the budget associated with developing a particular obstacle and how easy it is to assemble, move it around, things like that. That's where I think the logistical nightmare comes in.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of logistics to it. Everybody wants to be race director, build director, uh, build crew. This um, is everything's defined differently with Spartan. Now the roles are different. A race director is not really a race director in Spartan anymore. They're more of a general manager. Um, there's, they have a uh, design teams. They have festival leads. They just have, there's so many, there's so much minutia in the process that there's no single person anymore. And, and that's where I, as a race, as a course designer, a race director, I like to have complete oversight and complete, you know, on my fingers and everything.
0: Yeah. Uh, I once upon a time did race direction in triathlon and put on events. But just the sheer logistics of an OCR event, relatively speaking, it's like 10 times more complicated, I would think. I mean, I, I did a race in Hawaii where I had to move all my toys from one island to the next, which, you know, given that you just eliminated the ability to move things around in trucks, um, it had its own set of uh, obstacles to contend with. But I just it just seems like such a monumental task to, to try to decide, okay, we're going to get all these toys to X and get this thing assembled by X, and know that when we do do it, that when people in masks go over top or through or around these obstacles, that the challenges are going to be good and it's going to be relatively safe for people to participate. Do you like bite your nails in the background when you when you throw
1: something out there like that? Um, not really. Because one difference with me is. Um, I've always told any race direct, anyone I'm training or working with, licensees or anybody, if you don't actually get out there and do it yourself, then you're at fault. You, you know, if you, it's not if you get sued, it's when you get sued. You need to be able to tell that during the deposition that I actually touched that obstacle, I actually went over that obstacle, I had something to do with like the construction of it or the design of it so having a um just not not only having like the logistical background mindset but uh, an RC background but having a construction backgrounds important for OCR you know I would participated in the
0: uh, the cruise to mm-hmm. the Bahamas I'm assuming that you were the guy behind the development of that course on that island weren't you
1: no, I looked at it, but I wanted nothing to do with that race. I actually, my wife really wanted to go, but I said, I, if I go, I'll be working. So, actually, we went on our honeymoon to the Dominican Republic that week.
0: <laughs> well, I went and I worked. I didn't really have any moments where I wasn't dealing with people at one time or another. But I just thought that would have been a logistical nightmare just to
1: get everything onto that island. Yeah, they did a good job. They The guys... Plan that race. They uh, they gotta uh, basically pack stuff into sea containers and moved them there. Um, that that one, you know, that kind of uh, venue. You just have to make sure there's a good port or a good way to get the stuff to the island. Um, you have you have lodging, you have bathrooms to worry about power, waste removal. Uh, there's just a lot of, a lot of little things that add up.
0: Yeah, I'll bet yeah. now with bonefrog, obviously enough, or at least my perspective of it, it would be is that you've you've got on board with them because you see future in it, and obviously you already suggested that you like how they're rolling and how it had a lot to do with the good old days um Tell me a little bit about it i mean do you, you feel cozy i mean I just know that it's a it's an overwhelming undertaking to put on such a series and the cost factor associated with developing such a thing is huge too. What's the prognosis? I mean, if you just said you're just thinking about getting hired by these folks and you're looking at the, the big picture, where do you see them in say five years? I mean, I'm just trying to get a sense of this whole thing.
1: Five years. I, I don't think they don't have the desire to be as big as currently. I don't think Brian has the, the owner, um, the desire to be as big as Spartan, but he wants to be successful. He wants to put on a great race, but he wants to spend time with his family. And having someone say they want to spend time with their family and, and have that perspective in life um, and to have the experiences he's done for the country, serving it, it it's just he's such a unique individual in his crew, it's a small team. Um his current race director, Josh, awesome guy. Just got to work with them, And it's just so much fun to, like, to see the passion and, like, but to have the perspective, of like, have a well-balanced life, family, fun, and work ethics, um, that, that's uh, that's really what it comes down to you. I mean, having kids and being able to spend time with your family and understanding that, that there's a, a – a, a need to be home and not on the road all the time, putting on events is a really a cool, it's really, it's what Joe was like that at the beginning. And I think he's still like that, but you know, it's such a big company. The ownership's kind of gotten, gotten lost.
0: Well, you know, I'm a fly on the wall. I have never done an OCR event. I'm a coach and I work with many, many of the athletes that are out there. And I traveled around the country doing clinics and working with OCR athletes almost exclusively. So all of the information that I get is kind of secondhand. I've only even attended a handful of the events where I've gone, you know, shouldering up with some of the athletes that I've, I've supported and, and coached. So when I when I give an opinion about the sport at large, it's not from an inside perspective. It's just an outward perspective. And I've been a race director. I've been in the management side of developing events so I kind of look at it with a little bit of experience and I'm an old man I've been around a long time so I look at this stuff but I guess I'm I'm kind of setting you up for just the talk around town that I seem to get there's a lot of malcontent with Spartan it seems I I know a lot of people that were just dedicated to the whole Spartan mentality and the Spartan lifestyle and whatever And they're just feeling a little put out by the direction it's taken. And a lot of them has gone off towards Tough Mudder. And a lot of them are going off into other things. They're starting to do more adventure-style racing. And I guess what I'm asking you is the sport at large, where do you think it's going to be? Forget about Bonefrog for a second, just the sport at large. Do you think that 10 years from now, there's going to be OCR events, and do you think there's a shot at actually getting to the Olympics?
1: Uh, I think there's. Uh, I think the sport will be around. I think people really enjoy it. I think um, Spartan in general is crazy. I think they're the only person that's going to be able to get to the Olympics. I think if it's going to the Olympics, it's going to have to be OCR United. It's going to have to be everyone's going to have to be involved. Um I I I see it I see a I think it should have gone towards the X games to start with before it trying to push for the Olympics. Um that was always a conversation I had. But um I think people enjoy the joy like I think you're gonna see more there's a lot of, there's a lot of races out there. A lot of permanent courses popping up, a lot of gyms. Adding these elements to their to their um, their venues to for people to learn and train, you see commercials starting to pop up. With like like Dodge has makes um, shows like an obstacle course race. Um, they're out there, you know. The mainstream's picking up on it. They see revenue. They see you know people wanting to do it. So you're gonna it's going to become more recognized and more uh you it's just gonna grow, but um I think there's gonna be more more companies there's a lot of little companies out there that do a really good job, and with a smaller race, you can have more unique obstacles that's where it comes to logistically when you have a five thousand to ten thousand people, your obstacle has to be your footprint has to be so big to accommodate your racer flow um and that's that's where Those limitations come into play, and smaller um, smaller races, you get more um, diversity.
0: I had a conversation yesterday. I'm not even going to tell you who it was. Uh, I just don't feel comfortable bringing it up. But let me just tell you how the conversation went. Somebody that knows you, actually two guys were sitting with me, clients of mine, and they know you. And I told them that we're going to have this conversation today. And I asked them, you know, what what their gut was about you. And they had nothing but great things to say about you, which is good news, right? And uh, they had opinions about what Spartan should be doing and what Spartan is not doing with their ball of wax, so to speak. And one of the comments that was made was they'd like to see them – spend more energy, more money, in developing more entertaining, challenging obstacles. The comment was, it's like anymore, it's almost boring to do a Spartan race because it's so predictable. The bucket carry, you get a couple monkey bars, but nothing really, I mean, there's certainly the the terrain and, and the venue has much to do to mold how the whole race shakes out, but they just felt like with the power and the financial heretofore that Spartan has, they could be doing a better job with the actual event where they felt that the Tough Mudder, their obstacles are far and away more entertaining to participate on. Do you have any feeling about that? And I guess I should say this, too. I want—I was thinking about it. Let me just go ahead and say this, and this will be part of the question. If I was Joe DeSena and I called you up and I said, look, we want you back. I'm going to give you complete creative license. You're going to now decide the direction that this whole thing is taking. What would you do first? How's that for a question?
1: Uh, I would fire a bunch of people. (laughs) I would hire, hire back people that actually do the races and have passion for the race. And, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I'd clean house with the, the, uh, posers. as we used to call them in skateboarding. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, but, uh, I guess the question is what would you do different? I mean, I get it. There's probably
1: people that are in the way, but if you had it your way, what would you do different? I would emphasize, I would really, I'd make a division just for R and D. Um, and that's their job. Come up with obstacles, make some obstacles, test them, bring some racers in, try them out, show some videos, market it online, webcams, and, um, really emphasize direction of obstacle development and um, you know, making sure they're safe, they're fun, challenging, but uh, unique and different. I like that. What about the number of races? Do you feel like they're getting ahead of
0: themselves?
1: Yeah, I I think there's too many races. Um, You know, my feeling is I did this I did nightclub stuff for a long time and and party like rave style parties when I was younger and then um, promoting them and designing them. And they, um, we got greedy. I think we got greedy, We had too many races, too many events. And n- the numbers went down when we had less events, the numbers were up and you could charge a little bit more, but um, you know, we, we tried expanding too much, you know, there's too much, too much, too much in the market. So cut back, you have more demand. Hmm. What about, uh, charging
0: spectators? What's your feeling on that? I just, just the idea that you you have to pay 25 bucks plus parking just to go out and even watch an OCR event. I, I just never saw such a thing, the endurance sport. I mean, I put on triathlons and we never thought for a minute that we should put together a gate of, uh, spectators and, and charge. I mean, It's probably not a bad idea from a financial perspective, but do you think it might be better if you just had more people that actually got a chance to watch it?
1: It's a tough call because there's a lot of people that show up to some of these races. Um, An example is in France, we had 20,000 spectators show up for the first race and um, Paul Ricard and they didn't charge. I said, let's charge at least a Euro. And they got a big, I told you so after we got nailed with 20,000 spectators showing up. Um, I, you know, a small nominal fee, but yeah, 20, 20, 25, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty excessive. Um, but you know, people, people are willing to pay it, but it also helps keep your numbers down because your vent areas are, um, you control your footprint.
0: Yeah. Well, I know parking with any of this type of thing is just a nightmare, right?
1: Yeah, parking. Parking. Whenever you look at a venue, first thing you look at is accessibility and parking, because that's the first and last thing you're ever going to remember about that event.
0: Yeah, well, just the ability to park. I mean, it, it just gets crazy when you when you think about how many people are trying to put their cars someplace.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, it, it's it's definitely. I mean, that that's definitely an issue with any venue you look at. That's very, very important. It's like I've always told anyone, I've had I had licensees take me to venues in other countries. Oh, so we're gonna park some cars over here. We're gonna park some cars over here. I'm like, okay, you waste my time. Let's go. I don't even I don't even want to see the place. This is this is stupid. I told them that. it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work.
0: Yeah. I also heard, by the way, in the conversation we had yesterday, was that these guys felt that. The Spartan World Championships in Killington should have stayed in Killington as opposed to going to Lake Tahoe. It's a far and away better venue, and the race was just a better race. What's your thought on that?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Should always stayed at Killington. What's your reason? Tahoe, you know, it, it's nice to move around, but Tahoe has, it has – It has so many restrictions. I mean, Killington has restrictions too because of the Environmental Policy Act 250 in Vermont. Um, But you go to any place with a high-altitude environment, your vegetation is more protected. You have to deal with the EPA. You can't go off course, so you're just running on paths and trails that they allow you to run on. That's, that's That's not something I would ever... Um, want to do. Well,
0: why did they make that move? I mean, I'm sure you know.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not going to go there. Okay. That's a, right. Probably that's one of those things that, probably said enough, I'll probably get a letter from a lawyer anyway. But. <laughs> uh, yeah, listen, I'm not trying to get you in trouble. I'm just having well, conversations. That's okay. You can't really do much to me. Yeah. <laughs>
0: no, no, I get it. I get it. You know, it's funny. I had an interview with somebody, and again, I'm just going to protect him where he said a little too much about some of the moves towards the Olympic thing. And he shared some of his inner knowledge with me in a podcast. And he got a call. And they said, hey, you know, you weren't supposed to talk about this. Get on the horn to Richard and and tell him to pull that
1: podcast. And I said, yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to do. I'm not pulling nothing. This is America and freedom of speech, and they can go um, stick it. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah,
0: I I just, I don't know. I I just think they make too much to do of nothing, to be honest.
1: Oh, I agree. I
0: absolutely agree. Yeah, it's not that big a deal. It's it's recreation. I mean, this is, right now, this is really just, you know, (laughs) grassroots recreation for people. Uh, it's the, the theme is supposed to be about helping people, encourage people to get healthier. And then when the, the patent lawyers and franchise protectors and intellectual property people get involved, you're just like, what the hell, man? I mean, we're just trying to have some fun. Yeah, exactly. So what are your, what are your thoughts about Tough Mudder? I kind of wondered why
1: you didn't kind of get in that camp. Um, you know, I like Tough Mudder. I, I, I worked for Tough Mudder early a little bit. I went to and volunteered and worked some of the Mount Snow races and uh, the one thing I couldn't get my grasp around my head is I kept saying race, they kept giving me a hard time, like it's not a race, it's a challenge. I'm like Okay. So you don't I'm like the not timing absolutely blew my mind. So I want and then when people were always like, Oh hey, I qualified for World's Tough as Mudder I'm like, Oh really? What was your time? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's a, it's a marketing thing. And then, um, but now they switched to. I, I guess the rumor is they're going to be timing the first competitive heats, which is going to be a game changer for everybody. That's um, and they just did that eight-hour challenge, which is great. Um, I, I think they I think they're my guess. Is their market share probably was dropping, and you know Spartans and everyone else is, is increasing. So they're probably looking to retain some of that. People people need a baseline; they need to gauge themselves. You can only go to the race so many times before they want to look at a look at a time and see their see if they improve.
0: Yeah, well, no question about that. I think that uh, I really like the eight-hour format. I, I went down to the LA event with Hunter McIntyre and he won uh, the, the event in the morning and then he didn't do the, the eight-hour thing. But the midnight to morning poses an interesting challenge all by itself. And uh, I liked how they, halfway through, they, they put you on different course. They changed it up a little bit right in the middle I just thought the thing was pretty cool. I just, but I absolutely agree with you that the, the thing needs to be timed because I promise you that people that do these races, I'm sure you'll agree, they're going to time themselves. They're going they want to know how long it took them and they want to be able to compare their progress the next time they go out and do it. Wouldn't you think?
1: Absolutely. People are competitive. You want to you want to be like, "Hey, I beat you." You know, Yeah, like, you know, it's it's um it it's more it it adds to the exhilaration of like you're running for something um you know the fact that you go with a group and you help them get through it that's one stage of getting fit and getting getting in shape and meeting new people and having a better lifestyle but then you then you want to start improving more and you need to have some sort of gauge and that's timing it's like warrior dash what was that about getting rid of timing that was stupid um, <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't know. I I just uh, you think it's because of just the sheer logistics
1: of trying to time that many people. It's an it's an extra, you know, it's an extra like you. No matter what your numbers are, timing is just um, it's part of your initial fee. You have to put that in your budgeting. You just um, it just I mean, tough. I mean, t- look at Tough They're they're switching to that that scenario, and which is great. Um, I think that's going to be huge. I mean, their obstacles are just so much bigger, and they they have R and D, and they they're experimenting with stuff, and they're they're really innovative, which is great. Um, I know there's a lot of politics and tough matter too. I mean, I, I it'd be fun to actually like design their uh, world's toughest challenge or something, like actually go out there and make some trails and do some bushwhacking, and you know help design do some design with them. But, um, I just don't know if that's something that would ever work.
0: I heard that there's potential for that, uh, world championship to move to Europe.
1: Yeah. I mean, they've, they've had their fingers, they've been in Europe. Um, and there's so many European race companies and they're, when you look online, their obstacles are, they're just, you know, like you're skiing. I always go back to skiing because my background, uh, snowboarding, skiing, um, man, skier management, uh, you go, to, you go to, in the U.S. We're so we have so many rules and regulations, and you go to Europe, you can't get on a chairlift. They're gonna let it run over you. That's it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Here we're just so uh, uptight and sue so happy, but over in Europe they they're a little more rough around the edges, and then they understand like inherent risk. That's your that's on you. What do you think killed
0: Battlefrog?
1: I think, you know, just speculating um, and rumors. I think they just moved too fast, too big. Um, you know, it really hurt the industry. It really it was, a, it was a shock. I really enjoyed the races. I enjoyed seeing the staff. Um, I, I just don't like. Uh, I just don't think their business platform was. I think they uh, didn't have a good plan going into it.
0: Well, I know they made some mistakes that were really apparent to me where they were laying down some really hard money for ambassadors in various regions to try to develop, you know, the whole popularity of the sport in an area. And it just seemed to me like just a little smarter marketing package would have probably done them a lot lot better. I did an interview with Chris Accord when they were just getting ready to make that big bump and he started talking about the addition of 40 extra races in the season and la, 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 and then lo and behold came to the West Coast and just got punished in San Diego and came back, got punished again up in Napa. I think what the numbers were like, 700 participants or something like that?
1: Yeah, it was low. Even Even their Canadian races were bad numbers. But everybody loved those races.
0: I just That was the hard thing for me to wrap my head around is how what seemed to be such a great event had such a hard time. Do you think it had to do with the fact that they required that you actually completed the obstacle to move on if you're going to be competitive? Do you think it kind of trickled down to consumers of being afraid that they're not going to stack up?
1: You know, it might have played some of it. I think it might have been a bunch of things. I thought the logo was too cartoonish, too silly. Um, the, I, didn't, I don't necessarily... I'm, I like the fact that the elites have to do the completion of obstacles. Um, I just think they, they tried to be too big too fast. I mean, Spartan took some time to develop and grow. Um, they just have to really work with your marketing and grassroots and, and, get, and get people involved. Um, yeah, I really, I really wish I knew what happened. I think it was, it was just too much, too fast, and not enough capital coming back, in, revenue coming into it to sustain it for the investor.
0: Well, I know that uh, the conversation I had with Chris, he was kind of comparing the cost factor associated with a Spartan event being put up opposed to what they did with their events, and he had told me that they were able to put on a show for a whole lot less expensive than Spartan. Do you believe that?
1: Yes. I mean, their production was nothing compared to a Spartan race. I mean, they, there's less of everything, but they still had, they still had the transportation. When you start traveling around the country, you have hotel, you have every, your, your trailer weights, your permitting, um, Travel costs, food costs. I mean, it just it keeps accumulating so quickly that, and then you add more obstacles. That weight is a factor. Space and there's just a lot of, a lot of extra revenue people don't realize.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, just the kind of money they were talking about was pretty big. And I, I actually interviewed Joe uh, a couple of years back, I think now, and he was just telling me that the amount of money it took to move into another venue. Uh, was pretty astronomical. I know comparatively speaking with triathlon, it, it was a spit in the bucket compared to the kind of money it takes to, to put on some of these events, especially if you're going into to different countries.
1: Yeah, remediation of venues, that can that can be more than your venue fee, depending on what you, you're digging and erosion, and there's just a lot, a lot of stuff. I, everyone's always like, I can be a race director, I can design course and like no you can't <laughs> <laughs> well I'm sure there's
0: a lot to to it and I'm sure there took you quite a bit of time just to bumps and grinds just kind of figure out Ooh, whoa that's going to be a that's going to be a hiccup we're going to have to take care of that must have been a lot of that going on
1: there was definitely a lot of hiccups but my background came from doing from um working for a ski resort and going to school for it for special events and um working for NASCAR, PlayStation two, Lego, Johnson and Johnson, doing promotional events and traveling around the country. So, um, I had a little bit more insight in what was going to happen.
0: Yeah, apparently. So bone frogs, the deal now. And, um, how many events do they have in the season? Uh, 10, 10. And they, they spread them out.
1: Yeah. One every month. um, the next one's a little quicker because the last race got pushed back a week. So the spacing was a little, a little tighter, but, um, the next one is in Brookshire East in Massachusetts, which is their home mountain. Um, I've been to that venue three times to race there, with my wife and, uh, Amelia Boone's been there. April D like, I mean, it's just, uh, PAC's been there to race the races. Uh, a lot, a lot of, Big names have come to the race there, and the venue is just, I, I can't wait to get my hands on it. Really? Yeah, it's just, it's like, it's like a little, it's like, a, it's like—it's probably better in Killington because it has water up on the top of it, at the bottom. Um, and the owners, the owners are just so into it. They're just so supportive of Bone Frog and what, the community right there. What's the distance? Uh, it's going to be an eight-mile Uh, challenge and then just over a three mile sprint and then there's a tier uh, tier one which does the eight mile then they do the sprint sprint lap and then there's a new endurance aspect that you can keep running the sprint uh, as many times as you can throughout the day so but I honestly don't know how many people are going to be able to run too many extra sprint laps if they're really running hard it's. I mean, the sheer grip strength. Some of the obstacles are just. Um, it's pretty taxing. Definitely, um, you have to be really strong to run the race that many times. Huh?
0: Now and that you max, said it, they're going to want to do it.
1: Well, I don't know if they can. They can. They can. They can hope and dream of it, but they, <laughs> I'm curious to see how many people can actually. How many laps will be? What the max lap laps will be? But I mean, that's 13 miles for the. That's eight. You know, just over 11 miles for the tier one, and then to do another three, three and a half miles. And Some of those obstacles are just, they have the, the chopper, this new um, rotating monkey, like it's like a monkey bark type thing. That's really hard. It moves, and it, it rotates different directions, and then just the strongholds, everything in there, in get a grip. That thing is just, I've got pictures of on, on Facebook doing it. It's just, it's hard. You have to have a really good grip strength. Well, and what then,
0: happens if you fail an obstacle?
1: Well, if you're in the lead heat, you lose your band, but you can keep doing it as many times as you want. Um, but for the, all the other heats, there's penalties for the obstacles. So they, um, there's the eight count, which is the military um, up-down slash burpee. It's actually much harder than a burpee. You have to do 25 of those. You have to do 25 uh, push-ups or 25 jumping jacks. It depends on what obstacle, and what penalty they um, we decide to give to that obstacle. Which is kind of, it's interesting. They're not, it's not all the same. But I tell you what, eight counts are horrible. It's, <laughs> it's like a burpee, but you have to go down in different positions and then spread your legs, jump out, and it, it's a military um, exercise. It's very very taxing. Um so that that's gonna be it's a it's a hard race. It's it's and it's a the kid's course. My kids are hopefully gonna come down to it. Um, they've done it before. And just the fact that it's mountains, mountain, it's gonna be water, it's gonna be mud and they're locals and a lot of they're gonna oh, it's cool the Navy SEALs are coming to, gonna parachute in there. So it's going to be quite a show. There's um, some Black Hawk choppers going to be landing. Wow. Uh, um, the, the national biker, uh, I'm not sure who they are, actually. I think they're SEALs or military background. They come support, they're coming to support the event. So it's going to be a big show there. It's going to be a lot of, it's, be, it's the one race to really go to if you get a chance. It's like the, the Killington for um, Bone Frog.
0: So what about
1: prize money? I'm not sure what's going on with prize money, honestly. I, I, there's certain things I haven't been involved with. And the prize money, uh, there is, there is uh, they have paddles. Um, my wife's actually placed on there. I don't, I can't keep it straight. How I mean, she wins so many things I can't keep straight if she gets, wins money all the time.
0: Wow. Well, that's awesome. Is it? Do you know? I mean, I realize it's not your gig, but I mean, is it compelling enough for some of the pros to want to give it a shot, prize money wise?
1: It is. I've actually, what's interesting is um, some of the pros show up to this race, uh, say Spartans, and they're blown away at the difficulty of some of the obstacles and the the difference. You know, they all train for the Spartan obstacles, and there's just such a dynamic difference in some of them. There's similarities, but. There's definitely, it stands apart from uh, other races.
0: Well, that's exciting. I I hope to see more of it. I really do. You guys have anything planned for the West Coast?
1: Uh, We just did Austin, Texas. Yeah, I know that. That's about as far west this year. Um, You know, they may add a couple more races next year. We'll see. We don't want to bite off too much. Don't want to expand, you know, like I said, family time. Right. It's important to these guys. Yeah. Been, you know when there's seals, they're away three hundred days of the year um and they, you know they're home now and they want to, they want to enjoy the families.
0: I get it well, look, Norm, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh do this with me. It's enlightening. I was really curious to know where you yeah. went why you went, what's gonna happen next, so I'm glad you're still out there, brother. I'm glad you're doing what you do, and I think that uh you're obviously a staple in the industry, so we got to keep you busy.
1: Yeah, need to stay busy and pay the bills. Yeah, <laughs> thanks a lot for coming on, man. Thank you. All right,
0: bud. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do, and until then, you have an amazing day.